This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Life Made Better. I am so extremely humbled and thrilled to have these amazing guests with us today, which is no other than Mikkel Jewel Iverson. Mikkel is a good friend of mine. We met several years ago whilst we were both working at Universal Pictures, and he's someone you can quickly connect to as he is quite the joker. He's always ready with his witty comments and making you smile, but you scratch a little bit beneath that surface and that's when you meet the hero. With kindness as its core, pure heart and love, Mikkel is the founder of Terra Media and the non-profit organization Under One Sky, which is a London-based homeless collective who have supported more than 20,000 homeless with close to 1,000 volunteers and operates in London, Cambridge, Manchester, and Madrid. Their core mission is their mantra, which is, for a better tomorrow, you must survive today. The collective is about making the forgotten feel seen, heard, and appreciated as human beings, and to use the storytelling to tell the reality of homelessness through the eye of those living on the streets. Mikkel, I couldn't be happier to have you today. Thank you very much for being with us. Well, thanks, thanks for having me. And it's nice to re- reconnecting again after a few years. So that's very good. Indeed. So I'm sure our audience would love to hear a bit more about you, your journey, and the path that ultimately brought you to create Under One Sky. So actually, Under One Sky was set up in 2012. Uh, but the path to creating Under One Sky happened probably about 10 years before that. I'd sort of just graduated from university around 2000 and actually then went into the job market. And within, I think, three years, uh, I'd been made redundant twice because I hit the dot-com bubble. And then I also hit uh, the problem that that, uh, was Enron because I was working in trading. Um, And so basically, I sort of had two collapses of my career in a very short span of time when I thought I was about to, to build a career. But what happened actually in that process was both I was introduced to meditation and also I managed to cure myself of an illness that I'd had for a couple of years purely by mind. And those two events uh, really started a new chapter in my life. Uh, Shortly after I started meditating, uh, I just had this understanding. It was almost like a voice that came to me saying, your passion is people. And then I just started really started slowly, you know, walking a path of my passion being people. That led me to several years later to uh, take a couple of homeless people under my under my wings. They didn't live with me, but I was basically their one lifeline. And I probably worked with each one of those those people for about six to nine months. And that taught me a lot about homelessness. It taught me a lot about the system, but also the things that lead to homelessness. <clears throat> and that uh, eventually led me to uh, set up Under One Sky, uh, but not directly, more indirectly, uh, because Under One Sky was actually just an idea that came out of the film production company that I'd set up called Dignity Entertainment. 
which was set up to uh, make films that inspire positive social change. And films take a long time to develop. So one winter I said to my business partner, why don't we go out and do something that embraces the values that we stand for? And so I suggested we go out and connect with some homeless people just before Christmas and just hand out some, some Christmas presents. And um, that was then the beginning of, of the chapter that is Under One Sky. Wow. What a beautiful story. Music to my ears that you found meditation because it's been a lifesaver for me uh, as well, making me connect to truly what I believe. So why Under One Sky? What does it actually stand for? Well, it's, it, 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 it came in sort of through the back door, and, and that's actually been the case for a lot of Under One Sky's development in the sense that we'd asked as a designer to make some T-shirts for Dignity Entertainment. And for some reason, the designer had come back with a logo that, that said Under One Sky. And so after having done the first event, uh, Under One Sky event, before it was Under One Sky, basically what happened was I was contacted by a lot of people, colleagues, friends, et cetera, et cetera, who's, who were saying, if, you, if you're going to do this again, I definitely want to join you. And so, of course, I then realized, okay, we need to call this something. And we need to get a we need to get a logo. So I thought, okay, well, I looked at this T-shirt logo and I thought, under one sky, that's perfect, because you know the, one of the things that we all share is is the sky, and um, the homeless sleep under one un, under the sky every day. And another thing that played with me is, I grew up in a very rural setting. But when I was a boy looking at looking at the sky, I always thought, okay, you know, I can look at a star, and uh, <clears throat> you know, a person in China, wherever, can look at the same star and we're actually connected. And so it's also a way of saying that the sky is a connecting point for all of us. I just I love that story. It's so beautiful, and I think it really brings it home. And it's it's so beautiful in so many ways that you was just. And make it in the, the beautiful, the beautifulness of knowing that at the end of the day we are all just that one, and we are under that same roof, uh, which is the sky. I think it just is a very beautiful metaphor of what you guys do as well. What I'm curious about is that, as you were saying, under one sky, kind of like was born out of that evening of kindness, and then it has grown into that monster that we were saying at the very beginning where you now help 20,000 homeless people and have up to a thousand volunteers and it's all about wanting to do this just some good for the world so what would you say is the main benefit of this kindness for the listeners to to actually understand what under one sky does we our format is that we do street walks so we go out in the, in the night with uh, various types of supplies. We call them um, sort of life, life necessity kits. We meet the homeless where they are, whether that's a doorway or in a park. What that means is you're really having a one-to-one interaction with someone who's in, in desperate need often. And that puts you face-to-face with what you could call the truth of society. Uh, so that's quite different than, you know, um, standing in a warehouse packing socks. Because when you're faced with that, with that sort of naked truth, you are both challenged on your own. 
but you also have to be there for that person that you act that you've actually approached. Sometimes, you know, um, you might end up standing with someone who's crying on your shoulder two minutes later. And, and what, uh, I sense with a lot of volunteers when they go out the first time is that they have, they have quite a bit of hesitation that, that can often be quite a bit of fear. And so what happens when you have all this built up uh, sort of resistance in a way and you go out and all that's released and you come back with a very positive experience, it means that it's almost like someone blows the doors off the cupboard to let the, the true you out. And, and that's a very powerful experience. And so um, over the years, the more, the, the, the more uh, sort of we've done Under One Sky and the more it's grown, the more uh, I've realized that it's really a two-way street in terms of benefit. Um, of course, we're providing a benefit on, on the street to, to our homeless friends, but we're also offering a benefit to the volunteers in that this is actually a safe environment to both find and nurture your true self. I think a lot of people would love to be kinder. I think a lot of people would love to reach out and be more empathetic. But it's always that thing about being the first one to reach out. And what this setting is, is a place where it's a safe place to actually be compassionate. That, that probably really sums it up that then you, you can go out and be the true you and uh, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that souls speak. So we speak on a, on, a, on a conscious verbal level, but at the same time, the two souls that are standing next to each other have a conversation. And I just believe that with the work that we do, that becomes a very truthful conversation because uh, there's a, the volunteers certainly have the courage to open up. You know, obviously having been a volunteer with you guys in a few occasions, you know, I can serve as a testament of that, I think. And this is just my personal experience, obviously. But the one thing that you find out when you get back home at the end of, of having been of, of service in a way to all that people is that, you know, how quickly we are sometimes to judge. That's what I found that a lot of people is like kind of staying away from the homeless for fear and for pre-judging uh, in many levels. But actually, as you say, when you take the time to just sit with them and ask them just one question, which is, how are you today? It's such a powerful experience because A, not many times they get asked that question, if at all ask that question. And I felt that finding, you know, having someone that truly cares to hear that answer is for them, you know, kind of opening Pandora box in a way. And for us, is that it really hits you in the heart because it's like, why have I not done this before? And please tell me your story. And being curious about that story and being kind of humble and trying to understand the path that that person that you're speaking to have walked and what has led them to be there. And most of the time it comes from these, you know, tragic stories, which were things that were not in their hands whatsoever. So to hear all that, all those really as a volunteer makes you want to do more and start to get involved and say, what can I do to help these people in any shape or form? Like, what can I do? What is at the, at the tip of my hand that is going to help this individual get somewhere? I, th I think w one thing that's very interesting in, in what you're touching upon there is 
is the fact that you can look at the work that we do with through two lenses, you know, and, and one lens, which is a sort of purely tangible material lens. It's just, it's just a bunch of people running around with some bags in London or elsewhere, handing out a, a, a few, you know, a few socks and some meals and so on. Or you can look at it through another lens, which is, is a more profound lens that looks at what's actually going on in those interactions. And, and I think, and what you've just described yourself is really interesting about this is that it's so simple what we do yet. Um, and that's without blowing my own horn. This is really just based on feedback from many volunteers. It has such a profound effect on people. And so you think we live in a world that's obsessed by technology and about finding more advanced solutions all the time. But actually the power of, you know, genuine connection is, you know, is, is quite hard to beat. And it's so simple to actually achieve. Mm. I actually think it, I'm, I truly believe that human beings, that true nature, kind. And my children will go past a homeless person and say, can I go home and make them a packed lunch? Or can I do something? They want to do it. And I think as we grow older, we get conditioned maybe into thinking that we can't do anything. So we, we're too, we're probably fear, we're too scared to give them money or sit down with them or we don't know whether to give them food or we don't know how to help. So I think what you're doing is showing us a way of not just giving, but also connecting to that real person that's still there. Yeah. And some hope. I, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that's the, you know, that's, that's the work, right? It's that self-work of looking inside and, and, and actually then realizing again, or sort of reacquainting yourself with that. We could almost call it that pure innocence. Mm. Uh, that is the child. Yeah. But, uh, and, and by saying child, I don't mean it in a simplistic way. It's, it's actually more that unconditioned compassion. So then I guess naive um, trust that um, that children have because that's so much what this is about uh, is really you know instead of judging people before speaking to them it's about doing just the opposite and giving people the, the benefit of doubt yeah and how kind of easy it is to get on the wrong path when you have you know some bad blows early on it's yeah. not always a, it's definitely not a choice it's a so many people are affected early on by so much that they get into this path without even many choices are not theirs. One thing that's really beneficial now, though it might sound a bit sort of, though it might sound the wrong way, is the fact that many more people are either experiencing mental health issues or at least voicing their, their experience with it. And I think I've been fortunate that, 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 that I haven't been affected by, 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 say, depression or something in my life. But I bet you if, so, if, if you speak to someone who has and you say to that person, okay, well, now take the situa situation you're in now, place yourself on the street with access to nothing and potentially some kind of substance dependency, how are you going to get out of that situation? you know, just getting more awareness in society about things like mental health 
is quite valuable in also building more empathy and understanding around, you know, that what you see in the street is not the beginning of the journey. It might be years down the line. And I think that's worth reminding that, you know, the, the people that you meet a long journey that ha- has led them to where they are today, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's when it ends. And what I do love about what you guys do is that instead of waiting for somebody to do something about it, which, by the way, could be a wider conversation and why is not the government doing more about it, but you guys stepped into the arena and you were like, okay, as far as I'm concerned, this stops today. How can I help? What is in my hands to take this farther? And how can I make it better? Whichever way that means making it better, whether it's just having that conversation, handing out those uh, survival kids, or whether it is finding or funding and giving them, like, you know, uh, a Tesco, not Tesco, Argos card for them to get the supplies that they need or money to spend the night under a proper roof. And I think that's something that, as, you know, people with some commodities, we're not aware of. And it's so important that people like you and your organization make us aware of that, that actually the change it is in our hands as well if we decide to step in so the question how are you going to step in that's really it you know it's, it's, it's very much about looking at what resources do you have and what can you do and ironically in terms of helping beyond the what we could call the regular service it's actually the same power but used in a different place so we're talking about the power of connection with people who are, are sleeping rough But actually, when it comes to helping beyond what we normally do, it's also about connection. And it's really about using the network that we have. And and that's something that I've realized over the years, that if you are willing to put things out there, just as honest and simple as you can, then you can really um, source things in very quickly. I mean, we had two weeks ago, we met a homeless man who'd who'd had his guitar stolen. Our team came back that night uh, and I just put out on Facebook, you know, this is the situation. And, and half an hour later, we have uh, we have offers for three guitars. That's a simple one, right? But we've had, we've done that before where what's been provided is, is you know, jobs. It's been, um, it's been housing. So again, using that power of connection to just go out there and, and actually just saying out, kind of just saying out to the world, hey, this is what we need. Can anyone help? And be completely open to that. And so then normally things come back in quite quickly. I don't think I've ever put something out there that hasn't brought us a result. Which is another um, reminder that, you know, how kind human beings are, they allow themselves to be. Mm. What would you say is one of the main things you've learned after all these years of helping homeless people? If we speak about the learnings helping rough sleepers, it's probably how incredibly difficult life becomes when you're left with nothing. Because you're judged by a society that finds it really difficult to put themselves in the shoes that you're in. And, and right now it's been amplified, right? Because we got, the, we got the COVID crisis going on right now, which means that everything is shut. All the normal day centers for the homeless have shut. All the shops have shut. 
Um, so then you get down to very simple things like how do you charge your phone because there's no place to charge it. And if you don't have a phone, then you can't connect with the rest of the world. And if you want to apply for universal credit, you need to do it online, but there's no place open to use a computer. So it's, it's just this understanding that there's a wall of practical issues that um, someone living on the street needs to climb over before they can actually get back into society. I mean, you have simple things like, it's only now that I think it's HSBC who are starting to say, hey, we can, we can open up bank accounts for people who sleep, on, who, who sleep on the street. Well, if you, you know, how can you get a job if you don't have a bank account? You can't get a bank account if you don't have an address. So everything, it's, it's a domino effect of challenges. So one of the things that I've learned through that is in, in order to be of service, you have to be thinking extremely practical because most of these things are about practical things. Everything else, the compassion and the values and all that, that might be what's, that's what's driving it. But if you want to make real impact, you have to be able or you have to be willing to get your hands dirty with the practical stuff. So I guess the other thing that we might be wondering about as you would because and I think you were hinting it when you were saying about mental health and the benefits of us speaking uh, a bit more as a society about it but would you say that problems with mental health are you know one of the main reasons why people end up on the streets or what would you say is actually the main reason for them to end up in the streets? I mean the, to, to, to sum it up in one word is trauma. Trauma has many different faces I mean, to, to give you a good example, um, 30% of foster children end up in some sort of homelessness at some point in their life. It might not be sleeping on the street. It might be sofa surfing. Obviously, often they've had a, a very traumatic childhood. It can also be, you know, so, so sometimes it's early stuff going on, right? Whether it's abuse of various kinds, whether it's sexual or physical abuse in childhood. Of course, taking a few wrong turns early in life, which might be related to the fact that there's not been a stable home environment. And sometimes it's, um, you know, it's, it's things that come later in life. Uh, the most common thing that I hear is, you know, related to, to people losing a job. And that might uh, either lead them to lose their spouse or... Um, you know, start compensating or numbing the pain by, by drinking or taking drugs. And then usually that leads to losing the spouse and, and, the, and the accommodation. And then, you know, you're on the street. But I, but I often wonder, you know, the people that, that that happens to, do they also, you know, carry scars from the past that, that, that didn't give them the coping mechanisms to deal with, for example, a job loss. And, 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 you know, I just don't get that part of the story in that case. That can lead to mental health issues in the process before losing, you know, losing your home or when you end up on the streets. So um, I think it's really important to, to remind ourselves that substance abuse is usually not something that happens out of want, but out of a need to escape or numb a pain. And so, you know, sometimes you hear people say, oh, yeah, you know, the drug, drug addicts end up on the street. Actually, I think often it's the other way around. And, and it's something that we've seen in this COVID crisis, actually, 
where in the beginning of the crisis, we met people who were sober, didn't seem like they were on, on any sort of substance. And later in this crisis, suddenly we see them, you know, knocked out on the pavement on spice or something else. So it's just one of those things where we all have a breaking point. And when that breaking point comes, we have, we have different ways of coping with it. I mean, everything I read about trauma, it, it changes the brain uh, in such a way that like, they need a lot of help to get over that trauma. So often these coping mechanisms like alcohol and drugs is, like you said, it's just their only comfort. Mm. And, and of course, what that also means is that it's flawed to talk about ending homelessness if it's just a conversation about how many houses you're going to build. Because it needs to be a 360 solution because, you know, we're all 360 human beings. Yeah. And so that's really where I feel that the conversation needs to mature if we're talking about politics. Of course, it's very easy to relate to 3,000 new houses or, you know, whatever a number can be. But um, to, you know, really move on, these people need a completely different type of care. Yeah, they need to. Something that we as Under One Sky are looking into that we potentially could help in that respect by um, training and educating our volunteers to also be mentors. Um, So that both on a personal level, but it could also be skills-wise that, you know, skill sharing and so on. That's a beautiful idea because it's, you know, it's, providing that safety net for those people that you guys are helping out to not go back to face a setback again. So it's, you know, stepping up again into the arena, not only by providing, which obviously is needed, but by providing the inner tools to help them carry on with the situation, even when that presents itself, which I think is one of the most powerful things uh, that can be done for them. Yeah, get into yeah. the root cause of the pain, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think if 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 you, if you want to do that on a volunteer basis, it's really important that volunteers understand what that dynamic and mechanic is. Yeah. So that um, you know, you don't send the the train speeding down the track too quickly, and yeah. of course it, it needs to be done. It needs to be done within the context of a, of a bigger program, a framework, so that um, a volunteer is aware of, you know, what what's the scope of their role in this, because there'll be professionals who have to do some of the other work. It could bridge the gap, I'm sure. Yeah, I think too, uh, you know, you, you said, Lucia, it's at least it gives that um, social connection. You know, even if it's just going out, to watch a film together or have a kickabout in the park. But it starts building that social connection. And I mean, the way I see social connection is, is how you transport oxygen to the soul. Yeah, just like we have to water our plants. If we're cut off from that, um, that social connection, then we'll start fading away. And I think more and more studies also coming out that actually the a lot of the route to substance abuse and self-harm and these kind of things uh is very much related to social isolation yeah it's about getting someone to understand and someone just to care 
So part of your success is gaining visibility and getting people to connect deeply with your cause and you share the stories of the homeless you help. Why this approach um, storytelling? My own background professionally is in, is in storytelling in that I've, I've worked in the film business for many years and I'm a firm believer in the power of story. What I found important from the beginning is that actually you get the, you get the story from uh, the, the homeless person's point of view because I think often the, the media stories are either centered around very practical things, speaking about numbers and statistics and so on, also, sometimes you get the you get stories that feed feed a sort of a negative stereotype in terms of you know whether they're lazy or whether it's immigrants who've just come here to get money or, or whatever. Yeah, my aim was really to bring out the truth about what, as we just talked about, what actually leads to homelessness. I mean, you you get shared some harrowing stories out there, and but I think if, if those stories are share then you're going to start thinking differently about a person next time you you walk by a person we we had a couple of years ago a story that keeps sort of coming back to my mind which was uh, a homeless man we met up in camden and he'd been serving in the army uh, in afghanistan and one day he got a call from home saying that his, his wife and his two daughters had been killed in a car crash and of course, his world crumbled. He came back home, and whatever whatever help was was provided for him did not serve his needs. So he ended up on the street. Now, um, anyone who knew that story would probably look at this man very differently than than they would otherwise. In case they come from a point of view that this is someone who's lazy or just wants money or whatever. So that's why that's why I think it's so important to uh, to tell these stories to actually also show how fragile life can be, because I don't think that I don't think human beings are, are very good learners in the sense that we tend to need to experience things for ourselves before we really get it. But when we hit those roadblocks, that's when we suddenly realize, okay, actually, I can empathize with this now, and I'm just hoping with. I'm kind of hoping with the storytelling that we can start piercing through um, so that people don't need to experience it on their own, in their own lives to uh, open up and, and, you know, come from a place of empathy and compassion. Yeah, I think that people can relate more to a story of someone's life than they can by um, being told the facts and the figures. Hopefully it helps them really connect. This could possibly happen to any of us. It brings it certainly brings it to our attention and allows us to understand far better what goes behind our closed doors. Uh, sorry, uh, outside of our closed doors. I'm curious, Miguel, because obviously you are a BCB. You do quite a lot of things, both in you know personal life, professional life, helping the homeless. So, what does a normal day for you look like? Do you have any routines that you can share with us? Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I I have a routine at the moment because we're going through this COVID emergency initiative and the routine is very simple. It's kind of being ready to work around seven. Then I uh, <laughs> work until uh, eight and then I take my daughter out and look after her for two hours. Until, and then the rest of the day is pretty much 
just you know, looking after everything that comes in and making sure that each event runs in an orderly fashion, um, and that can go straight into the into the night time. But of course, that's not my normal day. Uh, and in my normal day, I I do try to of course get some exercise in to get meditation in. The meditation bit that I mentioned earlier in this in this in this podcast is something that's found over the years is that how I try to practice meditation now is, is more in every step that I take or every action that I take. And so if I'm in a place where you can um, just have a quiet moment, you can easily, you know, do a little bit of meditation or contemplation there. So yeah, I don't have sort of a very structured way of, of of doing things necessarily, at least not not on paper. But, uh, but one thing that is key to making all this work is around efficiency. That's always my focus: is how can we how can we make this as boring as it sounds? How can we make this really efficient so that uh, you can you can do more in a day? <laughs> Which is a good reminder. And I just love that, you know, even though kind of with COVID, our routines have, have got a bit out of the window, you still manage to keep those key moments for you, like, you know, meditation, whether it's in the actual shape of proper meditation or just having a moment of silence and kind of get yourself back together. That's something that definitely our listeners can relate to, I think. So thank you for sharing that. Especially if you've got a busy life, you've got to find those moments of clarity quiet in that mind more intentional i think yeah and to be honest with you i think the if, if i was going to give sort of one piece of advice um it's really to not to take life so serious when you do this kind of work uh you there's constantly you know new issues that come up because you're dealing in quite a volatile environment and so you, you know, kind of smile about it and say, you know, I can't see the solution right now, but I'm sure that we'll figure something out. And I think that's that's something that we can apply to all parts of our lives because it's really the opposite of stress, you know, whatever happens. Yes, it might seem like a big deal today, but is anyone going to remember it in a week? Probably not. So let's let's not be so serious about it. And I also think that that's why, um, you know, we've been able to grow under one sky quite quickly and, and make some differences. It's because it's not trying to be perfect. It's just trying to, it's, it's just doing stuff. So, um, you know, we have a massive team at the moment and we haven't gone through a, an interview process or anything like that. It's actually much more about having a quick conversation, you know, feeling your gut and saying, okay, do I think this person would be right for, for this type of thing? And then just say, you know, let's do it. And if it don't work out, then we can deal with it later. Instead of, you know, being two belts and braces about everything. So I think that's, if, if I was going to say one thing about my routine, it's just about actually being able to laugh about anything, pretty much whatever happens. And just having a having that type of attitude, which, which doesn't mean that you're not serious about things, but it's just don't take life too seriously. I think that's uh, such a key teaching for everybody that, you know, even if you're doing something as tough as you're doing, if you can do it with a smile on your face or, or keep the humor, you keep that balance. 
don't let that energy get completely drained and can enjoy yeah. the good moments. And, and actually that's something that, that I really try to stress to all our volunteers. This is a, this is a venture of joy. It's not a venture of duty. Uh, so let's say if task then um, actually rein it back to make it joyful again, because it has to go in the right place. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's very hard to. I think you come more from your heart if you bring joy into it. And when I think sometimes when you're thinking too seriously about things, it's hard to bring that joy in. Yeah. From, you know, feeling and giving that good feeling to somebody else is so important. Mm. So, Macau, where have you found your strength and inspiration, and motivation to keep going? To be honest with you, I haven't had to find any of that because, um, as I said earlier, this understanding that came to me that my passion is people it means that it's just a natural thing i don't need to be uh, to sort of find motivators anywhere i think uh, i think if you know if you are going to sort of sum it up it's at least i think I've, i'm pretty close to knowing knowing what my true self is about doing activities that are in coherence with that true self uh, it, you know when you first started meditating though did it take time because i you know i get clients that say but i don't know what my true nature is Do you, did you spend a lot of time contemplating it or was it quite an easy thing for you to find what your true nature was you know one thing that i was uh, critically aware of even before i started meditating was that the main obstacle to anything that i wanted to achieve in life was my own ego so actually what I, what, what I started doing, I guess, in my 20s was trying to put myself into situations where I would be exposed, you know, where I wouldn't, wouldn't feel comfortable or where I wouldn't be, you know, one of the best, best at doing something to try to kind of break down that, that ego castle we all have to some extent. And I guess that pre-work helped that route. I did have the courage to go out and, and pursue that and, and sort of pursue those new things that were coming in and saying, of, of which the, the most important was just to reach out to people and connect with them. Because if your passion is people, then clearly without connecting, that passion remains, you know, just, uh, just that and, and, and nothing uh, that's manifested in, into reality and into the world. Of course, it took time, but I would say that Actually, the way it, it sort of worked for me was much more of a practical journey. I think something that's really important when we're talking about things like meditation is that's part of the work, but the, the real work is actually going out into the world and working with what you, you picked up and what you've learned. Sometimes you might fail, then you learn from that, and also to share it. So... I mean, I sometimes have people who come to me and say, you know, can you help me start meditating? And uh, I, I sometimes do that. And then that usually turns into a longer term relationship. And after a while of them having worked through whatever they need to work through, I say to them, okay, well, your time has now come to step out of the meditation room that you have at home and actually start being an active player in, in the world. 
uh, and start sharing all the things that you you've learned about yourself. So I think that's that's for me a key thing. It's it's about you know it's about taking action and practice, and and of course that's what Under One Sky is all about. It's it's one hundred percent practical. <laughs> mm. And I would love us to just pause and reflect on a couple of things that you said there, because I think they truly resonated with me, but I think it would be some pointers quite useful for the people listening to us, which is, number one, when you connect with what truly ignites your soul, then the things kind of roll. You don't need to keep on seeking for that external motivation and external inspiration because it just comes from within which I think is a testament of really listening to yourself and understanding what you are about so the world can roll with you. And then to keep at it. You know, when you, you were just saying meditation, it didn't deliver that message straight away. But it's, if this is doing something good for me, let's carry on doing it. Let's carry on practicing. And somehow yeah. along the way, these answers will reveal to you, which is, again, I think something that we are quick to forget, especially in this day and age where everything happens quite quickly. Mm. You know, you meditate for five minutes and you haven't had these mysterious voices or your true calling knocking on the door, then you give up. So I think yeah. those are two things that are really worth reflecting on. Give yourself time to connect with yourself and to understand yourself and all those things will be unlocked. Yeah, try things. It, it's um, it, I always find it quite uh, humorous that when it comes to you know this uh, side of things with meditation and kind of opening up, it might be a bit mysterious to people. But if we look at everything in life, if you want to learn something new, you have to practice. You know, no one gets into a car and drives it straight away. I just my my child has started walking when she spent a couple of months, probably two months from the first step to being stable at it. It's nothing mysterious. It's just that, I guess, with the society we live in, that muscle has been so unused or is so unused that it, it takes time. So it's like going into the gym after not having exercised for, for 20 years. So it's kind of having the, having the understanding is that, yes, you know, you carry on doing it, things will come. It's not, you know, am I the lucky one? Because this is how the, the, the universe and the world is, has, has been engineered. So, you know, we just need to, we just need to keep doing it. And then eventually the plug is, is solidly in the socket and you have the connection. It's nothing mysterious. It's just about, as you say, being persistent as, as in anything else we want to be good at in life. What would you uh, recommend, Macau, or suggest to someone wanting to make a difference in the world? I would recommend actually to, to probably start where we've just been speaking and doing self-work to understand, you know, what's, what's my truth. And I think what, the closer we get to our own truth, the more we also start recognizing what our gifts are. And I firmly believe that, you know, everyone in this world has their own unique gifts. And we've probably been put here this time around to shine those gifts. So the more we start understanding that, I think the better we can actually make that difference in the world. I mean, I think for, for myself personally, and, and part of, of, of me finding my gift is 
I don't have many barriers to um, actually loving people. And I've been lucky in this life that I haven't had many scars, or at least what, whatever I've had to go through, it hasn't, it hasn't left me with a lot of scars. So I have a lot of surplus to take other people in and actually to try to be nurturing to them. That's actually how the whole uh, journey towards Under One Sky started. It just started with meeting strangers who, where there was some kind of connection and bringing them into my life and trying to help them, whether that's, that would be through conversation or writing, helping someone write a CV or whatever it might be. So yeah, I think finding one's own truth and then just listening to that is and trying to actually just live your own truth in the world. I think if you do that, just by doing that, you'll, you'll be making a difference in the world. Yeah, I like the, the way you said though that you, you, you haven't got many scars and you had this surplus that you could help others because often we're kind of told we've got to have huge scars and that will what push us forward to help others. But I don't think that's always true. I think some of us feel that we have a lot of love, a lot of energy, and we've been very lucky and very blessed and we want to give away mm. more of that. And, and I think that, that goes exactly to the gift right. Because if you if if you if you have a big scar and you've come past that, you of course have a massive learning to pass on. It's kind of like the the yin and the yang, right? This everything needs to fit together, and that's why, also, in society in general, that's why we shouldn't be so obsessed about trying to be like everyone else. Because this has been put together like a jigsaw puzzle, and every piece is different for good reason, because we complement each other. But if we come together and we work together, then, you know, we, we are the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah, love that analogy. Beautifully put, Michael. Thanks for sharing that. Before we let you go, we've got a couple more questions for you. So the first one is, can you sum up in one sentence, have you, how have you made your life better? Well, one sentence is really hard because that was a sentence. Uh, <laughs> I think what I would say is when I, I grew up very in a very remote location and, and that actually gave me a lot of time to just kind of, I, I guess, ponder. And one of the things that always sort of was in my mind was that I wanted to, wait, I wanted to make the world my home uh, and I wanted to feel at home everywhere. Um, and what um, this work that we've been focusing on today has helped me do is, is, is do just that. Because Under One Sky, you can call it a nonprofit organization or collective, but the way we actually talk and think about it is as a family. And so, you know, suddenly here in London, there's a family of a thousand people. And that's what makes you feel connected to something. So that was a very long sentence, but uh, regardless, um, that's one of the things if I, if I reflect back and say, okay, what bigger meaning has this work had in my life? It connects all the way back to my childhood. And what probably was one of, one of the key wishes was to feel at home in the world. Mm, love that. Home is where the heart is. And you've got such a big heart, Mikhail, that wherever you are, that's going to be home for you and those around you. So, Mikkel, um, we will obviously be putting in the episode comments the link to donate, but 
if our listeners wanted to connect with you, put themselves forward to help out in any shape or form, where can they find you? So they can find us on our website. There's a, a link on our website to sign up. Um, at the moment, actually, we've we've been so inundated with with volunteers that people go on a mailing list for the moment. Uh, if they want to follow the stories, then Facebook is a good place. We're also on Instagram and we're on, on, on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. And even if someone listening is is not in the one of the locations that we currently operate in, it would be great definitely to, to connect uh, because one of our plans before the COVID crisis was actually to expand into new locations. So we had Brighton mapped out, also Bristol, Paris, Berlin. And the thing is, this is a... What we do is quite a simple format, as we've, we've discussed here. And so if someone wanted to open a chapter somewhere else, th those are the kind of things we're looking at. That's how we started the, the chapter in Madrid, was, was basically someone who'd volunteered in London, and she moved back to Madrid and said, actually, I'd love to start this here. So um, it's a very open, we're a very open organization, and it's all very much based on trust and, and, and actually having you know, having a, a um, an ambition to deliver the goods to, to save quite literally. Brilliant. We'll make sure to put on the One Sky channels um, on the comments so you guys listening up can connect with Mikkel and the organization. And Mikkel, thank you so much once more to share all this with us. i definitely walking out today feeling inspired to do better, feeling inspired to be better. And I think that's all thanks to you and thanks for sharing what you do and the job that you do out there in the world it's definitely one that we would be i will be cherishing from now on that's for sure i had the pleasure to have lots of conversations with you in the past but it never ceases to amaze me whenever we get together all the powerful conversations that we can put together so thank you once more for sharing that with with us and with our listeners thank you that was amazing very inspiring Thank you both for having me. And uh, of course, I always uh, I always appreciate talking about this topic because it's close close to my heart. And it's I find it very important for, for everyone, of course, um, because as you can see from our conversation here, this is not just about helping people on the streets. It's actually a much bigger thing that's going on here. And uh, I probably see what we do more as human transformation rather than just trying to fulfill the need. So thank you both. No worries, it's an all-rounder. And for you guys listening to us, uh, by all means, please feel free to share this episode with anybody else that you feel would benefit. Uh, feel free to check us out and reach out to Mikkel and ourselves. You'll also have our contact details on the episode notes. And we want to thank you to, for joining us one more week for being with us for sharing our journey as well and as always if you've got any topics or if you've thought of somebody else that would be great to come up on the show and be interviewed please let us know uh, and please share the love subscribe um, and let us know how we can be of any more help until we meet again thank you very much <laughs>